listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Why is silence so tough to deal with? <laughs> right? Did you feel the tension in the room rise when I didn't start speaking when I was supposed to? Did you feel that? I did. It was only 45 seconds. I had planned to go a minute, but I was like, no, I can't. I, I can't do that. <laughs> like, what is it about you know, stark silence that can just be deafening, right? Like, I think the answer to that question sometimes uh, lies in a few other questions. Can I ask you guys a few questions this morning? Um, Ricardo said yes, so I'm going to yes. go with it. Um, do, you, do you have a cell phone? Yes. Do, do, do you have a tablet? Do you have a smartwatch? Okay, some of you said yes. Uh, Not like, do you get text messages? Do you get emails? Do those emails go to your phone? How about your tablet and your smartwatch and your computer? Do you get calendar appointment notifications and news alerts on your phone, tablet, computer, and, and watch? Let me, let me ask you this, and, you, and you, don't have, you don't have to keep answering my questions. These are really just like for you to evaluate and for me as well. Um, uh, is there such a thing as visual noise? What about Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram? Do we ever use those to break awkward silences? Do you ever wish there were more ads on Facebook? Like... While you're on a road trip out to Palm Springs, do you ever think to yourself, wow, this view could really use a few more billboards, right? Like, like, how about this? Do you sleep with a fan on for the white noise? Do you play soft music or wear earbuds at work to fill the silence? Like, I work at Augie's Coffee Shop a lot be, uh, because they have two rooms to choose from, and the front room is loud and full of life, and it's great for meeting people, and I've met tons of people in the community through going there, but, but the back room, the, the back room's like a quiet room meant for people who are studying, right? And, and this is the thing I always notice about the quiet back room, is that every single person wears headphones, which in essence defeats the purpose of having a room meant for quiet, right? Like, like what about this? Do you, do you, do you have a TV? Do you, do, do you have more than one TV? Like, do you leave the TV on while you're at home, not because you're watching it, but just because so it doesn't get too quiet in the house, right? Like, do you listen to talk radio? What, what's the purpose in, behind that? Like, 
For you parents out there, I know not everybody's parents, but for you parents, you'll understand this. When, do, when your kids are playing inside the house, when do you know that they're actually getting into real trouble? When it gets quiet, right? When it gets quiet, that's how you know you need to be worried, right? Like, that's, that's when you know they're getting into real trouble. Um, I come up with the service orders here at church, the ones we use on Sundays, and uh, something that's kind of weird when I think about it actually is that I work very hard to make sure everything we do in service kind of flows into the next thing so there are no like, so, so everything's seamless and, and there's no like awkward pauses. And, and this is mostly because if I don't, I start hearing your stomachs growl and that, and that just makes me feel like I need to speed things along so you can get to lunch. But, but, uh, but like, no, if, when there are long pauses in service, we, be, we begin to like feel like we're not sure what's going on, and, and, it, and it feels weird, and, and why is that? Here's the thing. Silence is actually wildly vital to our relationship with God and in our, in, in our prayer life. And uh, when was the last time... You had a spare moment in a busy day and you just took time out to be still and bask in the sound, the beautiful sound of silence. And you didn't pick up your device to check social media, right? Like, you may already know that we're in this sermon series right now called uh, Habits of Grace and we're just past the halfway point of this eight-week series and we've spent this time going over some of the proven paths of God, that God has laid out in his word to increase our connectedness with him and, and how deeply we allow his grace to penetrate our lives. These paths don't increase his love for us or change how he feels about our sin, but in following these proven paths, our posi- we position ourselves for maximum saturation of the wave after wave that is God's grace. And traditionally in church, these paths have been called spiritual disciplines. But the whole point of this sermon series is that that word disciplines doesn't really capture the depths of what these paths have to offer us. And in a nutshell, what they truly have to offer us is Jesus, right? Knowing and enjoying Jesus is the point of all of this. And in following these paths, we get to experience new heights and depths of who, who Jesus is and how his grace works in our lives. And, and that's why we're calling these paths habits of grace. My, my incredible friend Tara, like she, she spoke a word last week that was phenomenal about prayer. And, and if you, yeah, and if you missed it, I, I don't want to tell you too much about it. I, I just want to encourage you, go to the podcast, listen to the podcast. Like, seriously, when you leave here, find the podcast and listen to it, because her message is way better than mine is going to be. So, um, <laughs> uh, but her, in her message, she said, Tara said this, she said, uh, prayer is simply communication with God. Just as communication is key to any healthy relationship, it's also vital to our relationship with God. And this is such a simple truth, and yet deeply 
deeply profound because at first glance, you can think communication just means talking, right? But as we all know, there's so much more to communication than that, like body language and tone of voice and eye contact are all like they all play parts in effective communication. And I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been standing around after church talking to Mark and Ricardo or, or somebody else and, and just telling them about something that, may, that has happened in my week or that, may hap- that is going to happen in the future with my schedule. And, and my wife will be standing nearby and she'll overhear the conversation and occasionally she'll politely interject by saying, uh, you never told me that. Then she proceeds to communicate with her eyes the daggers, right? That 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 uh that means I probably double booked something in our family schedule or whatever. And and so like communication is so much more than just talking. You know, body language can say a lot about what a person is trying to communicate to you. But the most essential part of communication, right? that all too often gets forgotten about, especially when it comes to prayer, is listening. And for those of you that don't know, let me explain listening. That's when you stop talking and let the other person speak, right? (laughs) While, While talking to God is so unbelievably important, and I can't stress that enough, being quiet before him and making space to listen to him is vital as well. And, and, and if you were in a friendship where your friend did all the talking and you barely ever said a word, you would begin to start thinking like, well, maybe this friend doesn't really w- want to hear what I have to say, you know? I believe deeply in making space to listen uh, for God's direction in our lives. I also believe that there is a direct, direct connection in the amount of noise in our lives and our ability to hear God's voice. Take the prophet Elijah, for instance. Now, in the Old Testament, a prophet was a person who God spoke through to communicate his truth to the people. In fact, in English, the word prophet comes from the Greek word prophetess, which can mean uh, one who speaks forth or advocate. Prophets had the task of faithfully speaking God's word to the people. We find the prophet Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. Uh, The book of 1 and 2 Kings in the Old Testament are all about the many kings of Israel that followed King David. And ultimately, they ran the country right into the ground, basically. Uh, And the king at the the time we're going to focus on today is named Ahab. And he has a has a shifty Canaanite wife named Jezebel. I just like to say that weird. I don't know why. Um, uh, Many years before this, though, God had made it very clear to, to the Israelites through Moses that they were to have no other gods before him, the one true God, right? And, and well, after King David passed away, some of the other kings began to introduce other false deities to Israel. And long story short, God was super unhappy with that. Um, Many years into this downward spiral, King Ahab and Jezebel instituted that all of Israel must worship the Canaanite god Baal, Uh, which if you'll notice in Jezebel's 
uh, if you'll notice, is Jezebel's God, right? Uh, the Bible says in chapter 16 that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord's anger than any other king of Israel before him. That's saying a lot. <laughs> uh, so much so that the Lord sent Elijah to tell Ahab that uh, the God of Israel is going to cause a drought for years to come because of their false worship. And God says through Elijah that there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. This drought was significant to Ahab and Jezebel because the deity that they worshipped, Baal, was supposedly the god of rain and fertility. And the second half of, of that doesn't really make sense to me because some elements of Baal worship involve child sacrifice, if you can believe that. But after Elijah delivers this word to King Ahab about the drought, the Lord tells Elijah to just to move on and, uh, and he will take care of everything he needs to survive the drought. And true to his word, God brings this drought over Israel and provides for Elijah in incredible ways. Food and water became very scarce, but that didn't hinder um, Elijah's trust in the Lord. In fact, during this time, the Lord performed a few miracles through Elijah. And like, like one of them was he caused some jars of flour and oil that were used to, for making bread to never run out. Like they just never ran out. And these jars that were used to feed Elijah belonged to a widow who had taken him in. And when this widow's son became ill and died, God used Elijah to bring him back to life. But those are only the beginnings of what God wants to do through Elijah. Time goes on, and God tells Elijah, it's finally time to confront Ahab again. Now, while Elijah was in hiding, Jezebel killed every other prophet of Israel that she could get her hands on, right? And, and Elijah felt like he was alone in the battle. And, and, and so when things come to a head with Elijah and King Ahab, Elijah suggests that they have a showdown between their two gods, basically. And he tells Ahab to go gather all of Israel and the 450 prophets of Baal and, and, and to meet him at the top of Mount Carmel. They prepare two bulls for sacrificing and put them on piles of wood. And Elijah says, now let's see whose God provides the fire for these sacrifices, right? And so the prophets of Baal begin to call on their God. And the Bible tells us that they did that from like morning until noon. And right around noon, Elijah starts getting a little cheeky with them. He, he starts shouting at them and taunting them like, oh, oh man, your, your God must be asleep. Or, oh man, your God's on vacation. Maybe he'll take care of it when he gets back. Or, you know, like Elijah ha has some guts. Like this dude has some serious guts because he's totally disrespecting these guys and the God that they believe in. And as far as Elijah knows, he's the only one standing up for the one true God at this point. So these prophets of Baal... Take it up a notch, right? And, 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 and they begin like slashing themselves and letting the blood gush all over, which is gross, but it's like that was a part of their worship custom, believe it or not. And, and midday comes and goes, 
and still nothing. Not a flicker. So Elijah has finally had enough, right? And he, he pushes the prophets of Baal aside, rebuilds the altar in the name of the Lord. He digs a trench around the altar. He calls the people near to him and, and begins to prepare the sacrifice. And Elijah then says, go and fill up four large containers of water and pour it all over the offering and the wood. Which if you know anything about trying to start a fire, that's like the opposite of what you want to do, right? And, and, and so Elijah wants everyone to know that there is absolutely no trickery in what's about to happen. So they pour the water all over the altar and, and, and the sacrifice and the wood. And Elijah says, good, looks good. Now do it again. And they do. And Elijah says, okay, one more time. Now, this is 12 large containers of water poured out on the wood and the sacrifice. The Bible says that it was so much water that not only was the altar just completely saturated, but the trench that Elijah had dug was full of water as well. And, and so, like, that's not the ideal circumstances for starting a fire. <laughs> but Elijah doesn't doubt for a second. In fact, he prays this, this beautiful prayer in 1 Kings 18, beginning at 36. And, and uh, he, he prays this prayer, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. And cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, now, after this happens, Elijah seizes all of the prophets of Baal and kills them. Elijah then turns to Ahab in a very kind of like dirty, hairy moment and tells him, you better go on home because this drought is about to end, right? And, and, and there, there's a rain coming. And I just kind of picture at the end of it, he said, son, like, like there's a rain coming, son, you know? Um, uh, and, 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 and once again, Elijah kneels to the ground at the top of Mount Carmel. And after some time, sure enough, a miracle happens. The sky grows black. A great wind begins to howl, and a hard rain begins to fall, just like Elijah said it would. And at this point, Ahab has gone back home and told Jezebel everything that uh, Elijah has done. He, he tells her all that's happened, the offerings, the fire, killing the prophets, then predicting the, 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 the drought's end. He tells her everything. Well, as you can imagine, Jezebel is furious. So much so that she sends a messenger to, to Elijah to say, may her gods deal with her ever so severely if she doesn't have him killed by this time tomorrow. 
I mean, come on. Who says the Bible is boring? Like, this is amazing stuff right here. Not, not me. Like, like, this is like general hospital, but times 10. Like, this is awesome. Um, this account of Elijah is so incredible. His faith the whole way through this story is utterly inspiring. And he, go, he only goes where God tells him to go, right? And he says and does whatever God tells him to say and do. It didn't matter how crazy it sounded, right? Uh, he just did whatever God uh, told him to do. And, oh, man. But this is where the story takes an odd turn, in my opinion. Jezebel threatens Elijah's life. And something very strange happens that when I first read the story, I didn't see coming. In verse 3 of chapter 19, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah becomes so afraid, so much so, that in fact, he runs as far away from Jezebel as he could. Doesn't that stick out to you as odd? I mean, it does me. Here's this man who through God raised a little boy from the dead, who calls forth the Lord's fire from the sky and and also prophesied a drought-ending rainstorm, and all of a sudden his life gets threatened, and he runs. Has he forgotten his like history with the Lord? Has he forgotten all that the Lord has, has done through him? Here's a man who only went where God told him to go, and all of a sudden he goes out on his own, and he bolts, and he runs because he's afraid. Am I the only one who that sticks out to is a little weird? But here's the deal. This is something that happens all the time. The mental and physical strain to Elijah's body must have been extraordinary. I mean, the guy has been serving the Lord nonstop. Not to mention, he, the dude just dug a trench. Like, when was the last time you dug a trench? Like, I do the breakfast dishes, and I need a nap. Like... My point is that Elijah had been extremely faithful to the Lord and had done everything he'd asked, but he was fried. He was spent. Elijah felt like he didn't have anything left to give. Anyone ever been there? I've been there. And when you're in that frame of mind, you're not thinking clearly. Your thoughts and perspective on things become a little murky, a little gloomy, and it's easy to forget everything that the Lord has brought you through. And, 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 and you forget everything the Lord has brought you through, and you just focus on the fear that you feel. But just as Elijah has been faithful to the Lord, the Lord is faithful to Elijah. Check out what happens in First um, Kings 19, starting at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. 
I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, which is also another name for Mount Sinai. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, go outside and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And God, from this point on, gives Elijah very clear, clear-cut instructions on what he's supposed to do next, instead of including um, anointing his successor, Elisha. Okay, so let me give you a few observations about this account of Elijah, and, and that they are, uh, that they're just as applicable today as they were to Elijah. Elijah was a faithful servant to the Lord, right? He did everything the Lord asked him to do, no matter how bizarre it sounded. But here's the thing. Even the most faithful servant of God will grow weary sometimes. Isaiah 40, 30 through 31 says, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Lots of times when we're beginning to make large strides in our spiritual life, or maybe we're making progress for the kingdom that we've been praying for, the depths of discouragement and fatigue can set in. I know a lot of pastors, and I can tell you that a very large percent of them deal with what I call the Monday blues. Because they have seen the Lord moving and working in people's lives on Sunday. And in many ways, they get to be a part of it and celebrate it. But Monday comes, and they feel drained and down. 
And that's the perfect time for the enemy to creep in. And, and time after time, I've heard pastors say that how they combat this is to be quiet on Mondays. They go into their office, and they close the door, and they do quiet things while the Lord ministers to their soul. When Elijah got tired, everything seemed heavier. The threat that Jezebel sent him probably wouldn't have affected him as much if he wasn't so tired. But when Elijah got weary, the noise in his life seemed so much louder, which in turn made it more difficult to hear God's voice and what he was supposed to do next. It may be difficult for you to get quiet because you may, when you get quiet, you may hear that voice of, of self-criticism or one of the other myriad of soul murmurs that lives inside of us. But so many people choose to live with, with the chaos of a noisy life solely to drown out those voices. Do you wish the voice of the Lord was louder in your life? Because if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, His voice is there. Through God's Word and His Holy Spirit, His voice is there. You just may not be able to hear it because of the level of noise in your life. The point of practicing silence as a spiritual discipline is not because you will always hear the audible voice of God, but so that we can be less distracted and better hear him speak with even greater clarity in his word and through his Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important to be in God's word, because God will never tell you something that is contrary to what his word says. And that's vital in distinguishing the true voice of the Lord. Noise can be audible, right? But it doesn't have to be. Noise can also take the form, it takes many forms, but it can also take the form of worry and fear. Fear was the noise in Elijah's life that caused him to run away even though God had shown himself faithful every step of the way. When I read this story, I just want to like scream at Elijah like, what are you afraid of? God has been with you. Every step of the way, don't you know he'll be with you now? And yet this still happens in my own life from time to time. Because when you are weary, worry and fear can seem really loud. The things we know about who God is, who he's called you to be, and the things that you know that you know that you know can become murky. The way the Lord restores Elijah's strength is really interesting to me. Elijah travels a day's journey into the wilderness out by himself and prays that the Lord would just take his life. I mean, like, that's how far gone Elijah was. Two times this happened. Elijah's woken up from a deep sleep with food and water from an angel. The angel tells him, drink and eat, for the journey ahead is too much for you without it. The message the Lord sends through this angel is easily overlooked. What God is telling Elijah within this act is still true for us today, and that's if the Lord calls you to the journey, you can trust him to provide strength for the journey. 
And finally, when God shows himself to Elijah on the mountaintop, this time wasn't in the, wild, the wildness of the wind, which he had previously used with Ahab in, in the wind of the drought-ending storm. He didn't reveal himself in an earthquake like he does in Exodus to, with Moses and the Israelites. He didn't reveal himself in the fire like he did to the prophets of Baal that we spoke about earlier. No, the Lord reveals himself to Elijah on the mountaintop in a gentle whisper. The actual phrase of gentle whisper in Hebrew means a thin silence. Sheer silence. And in this thin silence, God gives Elijah clarity on the next steps of his journey. Now, in closing, as the worship team comes, um, I just want to ask you a few more questions. When you pray, and I'm asking myself these questions, I just want to make sure you know that as well. When we pray, do we spend the whole time talking? When we grow weary, and even the most faithful servant will grow weary at some point, do you allow the noise in your life to dictate your next steps? Or do you make space for God to speak in the silence? I want to encourage you that getting away to be with God doesn't have to be a grand thing. While it's great when you can go on an all-day hike you know, into the wilderness and just spend time with God or, or maybe take a prayer retreat or something like that, like, like it doesn't, it, it, that's awesome. But it doesn't have to be like that all the time because a lot of times it's not practical in our day-to-day lives. Getting away with God can be as simple as taking a quiet walk on your lunch break or leaving the radio off on your daily commute. I mean, it's nice when it can be a grand gesture, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, I think we will be able as Christians to go further, faster, stronger, longer if we develop the regular habit of being quiet in the presence of God in solitude more frequently than storing it up until that time when we can get away. Do you wish the Lord's voice was louder in your life? Do you need clarity for the next steps of your journey? Leaving the noise of our lives behind for a while and making space for God to speak in the silence through his word and his Holy Spirit is a really good place to start when you're seeking his answers. After all, communicating with God isn't just talking. There's so much more to communication than that and a friendship. And so... Let's just all bow our heads as we pray in closing. Father, I pray, God, that, well, first of all, Lord, you are such a good Father. It doesn't matter how many times we stumble, Lord. You're there, ready for us to turn to you, ready to pick us up, Lord. Brush us off, God. Strengthen us for the rest of our journey, God.
Lord, I just want to confess to you that I live a noisy life, God. And sometimes those noises can build up and worry and fear can begin to creep in. And I forget sometimes who you are. And I forget sometimes who I am. Lord, but you're always there to remind me. And I thank you for that, Lord. I don't know if anybody else is resonating with that. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody else in this place, Lord, that, that needs a word from you, Lord, that needs a touch from you, that needs strength from you, that needs the next steps of their journey, Lord, God, I pray that you would meet them in that, in that thin silence, God. Father, we love you. We adore you. We heap our praises upon you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this church. And as the ushers come forward, Father, I, you know, Lord, you know our financial situation as a church, Lord. And uh, God, we pray, Lord, that you would multiply what's given, Lord, and, and, and fill it up and send it out, Lord. God, we bring to you what is already yours. Father of creation, Father, who loves us, knows us by name, we love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.